And good morning. It's good to be back with you this morning and able to share God's word with you. And it seems like sometimes that trip, uh, well, it gets longer. Uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, I ask that you turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, we'll be looking at, uh, at verse 27 here. I got something I need you to help me with. I want to throw out some phrases and you, you help me finish them, alright? See how well you know these things. I just really want to throw in the towel. I'm at my wit's end. I'm at the end of my rope. <laughs> I'm just a, a bundle of nerves. There you go. I'm just all shook. I'm all shook up. I'll tell you what, it sounds like y'all need some help. I'm just saying, that's the way y'all, no, I'm just kidding. You probably know this by now. But we live in probably one of the most stressed out, uptight, worry-soaked generations of all time. I don't think that's an exaggeration at all. <laughs> Doctors tell us that two out of every three people take some form of medication to help them deal with the stresses and the pressures of life. And, and those things are needed sometimes. But the fact of the matter is we've got issues, don't we? <laughs> Whether e even as believers, and, I, and this is where uh, some people have a hard time understanding this statement, but even as believers, we have pressures and stresses and issues, don't we? We get worried. We get concerned, even though we might know better it's still part and parcel of our human nature to worry and get stressed, isn't it? Uh, so let me ask you uh, this question. Did Jesus say, I've come to give you stress and stress more abundantly? No, he didn't, did he? What did he say? I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Now you might say, well... Life brings stress, and I completely agree with that. You're not going to go through life without some sort of stress. And so what are we supposed to do when life throws just this enormous amount of stress our way and the loads of worry that seem to fill up our lives? Well, what are we supposed to do? Well, we need to remember that God has provided us an antidote. And that antidote is called Peace. You see, the world says the answer to worry and pressure and stress is, you know, it's usually in a pill or in a bottle or some sort of wrong relationship. God says the answer to worry and stress and pressure is his peace. Look at what Jesus tells us here in John chapter 14 and verse 27. John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Most of the, uh, one of the, most of, uh, the awesome things you'll find 
about Jesus when you're reading the gospel, one of the greatest things is that he's not running around nervous and jittery and stressed about what's going on. And when you, when you find him in those situations where it's almost overwhelming, we find him going to his father in prayer and finding that peace. And he, but we don't see him just jittery and out of sorts about everything. Jesus was never wringing his hands and, and, and saying, I, I wonder what these Pharisees are up to. <laughs> I just don't know. I, I, I just, I know they're going to try to crucify me. How am I going to, to deal with it? How am I ever going to get these 12 blockhead disciples of mine? How am I going to teach them in just three years everything that they need to know? It's something that it's just impossible. It can't be done. There's so much that needs to be done in, in so little time. Do you ever get the sense that Jesus stressed or worried about those things? You see, Jesus, he knows that people are going to reject him. It's just a matter of fact. We can present Jesus. We can show and tell how he changes lives and changes not just our lives here and now, but changes our eternal destiny. And we can speak of his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and all those things. And the fact of the matter is some people are still going to reject him just like the Pharisees. He, he knows that his disciples, they're going to abandon him after he's arrested and crucified for a little while. He, he knows the Pharisees, they're going to arrest him and they're going to have him put to death. And yet he walks around in peace. And Jesus says, my peace, my peace, I give to you. And notice that that peace is a gift. How do we know it's a gift? Well, he says, I give it to you. I give it to you. The peace of God is not <coughs> something that you can earn. You don't live good enough that you finally get his peace. <coughs> it's not something that any of us necessarily deserve. It's not something that we can give enough to the church or to churches or missions or, or whatever that we can buy that peace. The peace of God is graciously offered by Jesus Christ and it's just got to be simply received by us, much like the salvation that he offers to us. It's free. We have to receive it. When you study the New Testament, you realize that Jesus came to give us Three different types of peace. And that's what I want to share with you today uh, about peace and the three different types of peace that we have. Jesus, he offers every single one of us three kinds of peace. You see, Jesus, first of all, came to give us spiritual peace with God. And that's probably by far the most important one. He came to give us peace with God, spiritual peace with God. If you've ever watched too many or any movies with uh, someone that's on their deathbed, someone will always ask them, that person that's on the deathbed there, what, what, what's the question they ask? Have you made peace with God? 
You made peace with your maker, if you watch a lot of westerns. But the truth is, none of us can make peace with God. Why? Well, because when two parties make peace, there has to be some concessions, doesn't there? There has to be give and take from both sides, doesn't there? They give to the other side what's needed or desired to accomplish that peace. And see, the problem is, according to God's word, we don't have anything to offer God on our behalf to make it right, do we? To, to settle that peace, to <coughs> bring ourselves up to that point. You see, we don't make peace with God. We simply accept that peace he offers to us. The Bible says that Jesus made peace with God on our behalf, and we accept it by faith. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, we're told, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. And so what is it that he's done for us? Well, Isaiah 53 verse 5, it tells us plainly, <coughs> but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Colossians in the New Testament, Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, it reminds us, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, talking about Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Our sin was put on Christ at the cross. It, 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 punished in Christ, it was punished in Christ at the cross. And it, our sin was paid for in full at the cross of Jesus Christ. God's wrath against our sin was completely satisfied by Jesus at the cross. Jesus died in our place for our sin to create a bridge from me and from you to God. In fact, Jesus is the only bridge there is to God. There's not many roads that lead to God. There's only one, and it's through Jesus Christ. We know this because Jesus told us that, didn't he? What did he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, but what? By me. Because Jesus is the only one who can provide forgiveness for our sins. He's the only one who can provide peace with God. There's an amazing story in Luke chapter 7 about a woman. The woman, she had a very, uh, what we might say, colorful and sordid past. <laughs> of course, we all have a past. I mean... Let's just be honest, uh, we do. And, and we've probably got some skeletons that we don't, people want, we don't want people to turn the light on in our closets and see. But apparently this woman had several closets, and all of them were full of skeletons. So much so, you open the door, they're just going to fall out kind of stuff. 
and Luke, he, he points out that she had lived such a, a sinful life that she had ruined her reputation around town. It was just awful. Everyone knew who she was. Everyone knew how she lived and what kind of life she lived. And, and people would stare at her and, and they, they would whisper about her everywhere that she went. And it got to the point that she was embarrassed. She was embarrassed just to show her face out in public anywhere, at the well or whatever it might be. But then she, she heard Jesus teach. She heard Jesus speak and, and God changed her heart. And she was so overwhelmed with gratitude and worship that she wanted to express appreciation and, and show this change that had taken place in her heart. Jesus, if you remember the story, he was eating a meal in the home of a religious leader named Simon. And even though she knew people would be staring and whispering and, and be aghast at her showing up, she didn't care. She went into the house to see Jesus. You remember how the story goes. She fell at his feet and she just began to weep. Understanding who she was and understanding who he was and how he had changed her life. And, and her tears, they just began to stream and cover his feet. And then she took a, a very expensive jar uh, of filled with perfume and she poured it over Jesus' feet and, and her tears and, and the perfume intermingled with her hair there on his feet. And, and <coughs> she used her hair to clean his feet as an act of worship. Simon and the Pharisees, well, to say the very least, they were very upset. They were upset that Jesus, this religious leader, would allow this sinful woman to get that close to him and to, at the, uh, to, to touch him. But Jesus made two very incredible statements that day. He made one to Simon and one to the woman. First, Jesus said to Simon in Luke chapter 7, verse 47, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Next, Jesus spoke to the woman and she, he said, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus made the connection between salvation and peace. She was saved from what? She was saved from her sins, from an eternity in hell. And because of that, she can now live in peace with God. And who was her bridge to salvation? Who was her bridge to that peace? Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you've had a sinful heart and because of that, maybe that heart's gotten hard and bitter and indifferent. And maybe you've thought even if it's true, God would never love you or forgive you because of your past, because of your <coughs> hard heart or whatever it is. I can take God's word and I can show you story after story after story in the scriptures, in his word, of people who thought the very same thing. In every story, God proved them wrong. God did forgive. 
God did change them, and God used them. And he can do the same for you. He can do the same for anyone. And without that, uh, experiencing that peace, it's really impossible to experience any other kind of peace, isn't it? But when you have spiritual peace, true spiritual peace, then it's possible to experience the second kind of peace that I want to share with you. Jesus came to give us spiritual peace with God, but he also came to uh, give us personal peace with ourselves. It's possible to experience eternal peace with God. But sometimes you might not experience the internal peace of God, right? Even the most upright can get uptight if our focus isn't right. Just think about the one guy who said, my therapist told me the way to achieve true inner peace is to finish what I started. So far today, I finished two bags of chips and a chocolate cake, and I feel better already. Now I wish cake and chips could give us inner peace. But unfortunately, the only thing it kind of gives us is an outer ring. You know what I'm saying here? But if you look in the Old Testament, in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26, we're told, (coughs) The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. I want you to notice a word here, the word bless. In the original language, that word bless means to stoop down. Moses wrote here, May God stoop down to you and make his face to shine upon you. So I want you to get the picture here. The picture is that the God of heaven, in great love and in great humility, he stoops down to your level and he turns his face toward you. So that you know you're not alone. And with his face turned towards you, he looked you eye to eye. (laughs) In other words, he gives you his full attention. He's not distracted by anything. He's not bored in any way by what is going on or, or the conversation that's going on between you and him. You have his complete attention. He's showing you he is completely focused on just you. So let me ask you, if you knew that God right now, amidst all of your trouble, your turmoil, your uncertainty, the tragedy, the, the tough times, the stress, the, the unanswered questions, if you knew he was sitting right next to you just looking at you with this huge, loving, tender smile that is full of grace and mercy and, and compassion, Let me ask you, would that put you at ease? Would that give you a level of comfort? Would that give you peace? It should, because that's what's happening. You see, what many people want God to do is to 
get rid of all of the problems, get rid of all their pain, and just float through this life on cloud nine, and everything's hunky-dory, and there's, there's nothing going on. But it's through that pain sometimes that we grow closer to Him. It's through that pain that we learn more about His grace, that we learn more about His mercy, that we learn more about His love, and even His forgiveness. They, people think that that's when they'll experience peace, when God just simply takes away every problem and every pain. But that's not God's promise, is it? God's never, he, he never promises to subtract all of your pain and all of your problems. Because that is part of life. But can I tell you what God does promise what God promises to do as you trust in the mid, trust Him in the midst of your pain and problems, He'll multiply your peace. He won't subtract the pain and, and the, the, the hard times, but He will multiply your peace. He'll multiply it. That's far better than addition, isn't it? That's a lot more than addition. You can still feel personal peace in the presence of some of your life's greatest problems. That doesn't mean that the problems aren't still there. That doesn't mean that the pain isn't real. But you can have peace in the midst of it. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 tells us, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, I love this part, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If you want that peace that passes all understanding, it's through Jesus Christ, by prayer and supplication. And thanksgiving. We're told not to worry about anything in that passage. Worry, and I'll be honest, sometimes this is something I struggle with. Worry is assuming responsibility for something that God never intended you to have. Worry is a spiritual problem because worry is a control issue. And we all want to be in control of our life and things are going on, don't we? We all want to have a say-so. We can say, God, I'm turning everything over to you, but I'm just going to keep my hand on this one thing just so I can stay steady <laughs> instead of just letting go and letting God. The reason we worry is because we're having trouble controlling the uncontrollable. When you get down to the roots of it, can any of us control our health? I mean, we can do things to help, but can we control our health? No, we can't. And so what do we worry about? We worry about that funny-feeling lump on our arm. We, we worry about that pain that we have in, in, in our thigh, whatever it is. We worry about our health because why? Well, we're not in control anymore. Sometimes we can't control our jobs. We can do the best we can do, and we can <coughs> live up to 
our responsibilities, but that still doesn't guarantee that we don't walk in tomorrow and find out that we've lost our job. And so what do we do? We worry about a job. <laughs> we, we, we can't control the economy. So what do we do? We worry about the economy and the politicians, and we worry about governments, and, and we worry about other countries and what they're doing and how it affects. <coughs> we, we can't always control our kids, can we? We can raise them, we can teach them, we can show them, we can punish them, we can encourage them, we can uh, praise them, and, and we can just come down hard on them. But at the end of the day, you know what? They've got a mind of their own, and they're going to make some decisions, and we can't control that. And so what do we do? We worry about our kids. We can't control the future, can we? So we worry about the future, and we forget that we know who controls the future. Is it any wonder that God says, be still and know that I'm God? He says, still your heart, still your mind, still your body, still your worry, and know, don't just remember, but know that I'm God. How do we do that? Well, we go back to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It tells us, he, he basically says, don't panic, but pray. Don't worry, instead, worship. Did you know that you can't be filled with worship and worry at the same time? They can't coexist. You, you, you can't be full of fear and faith at the same time because those two things cannot coexist. You can't be really prayerful and then panicked at the same time because those things cannot exist. It's not one, it is a matter of one or the other. You have to make a choice. You'll either give it to God or you're going to keep it all to yourself and experience the effects of it. But God, he promises when you give it to him in prayer, by thanksgiving, <coughs> thanking him for what you have, and you tell him what you need, he's going to provide a guard for your heart and mind. Doesn't mean he's going to be taken out of the situation, but you're going to have a guard there that guards your peace. God's peace is going to guard your heart heart and your mind against that unnecessary worry that he never intended you to have. It's going to help guard against anxiety. It's going to help guard against fear. And so as you turn over your pain and your problems through passionate prayer, he sets up the guard of peace to protect you, to protect your heart, to protect your mind. Do you know the, the first recorded words we have that Jesus spoke to his disciples after his resurrection? It's recorded in John chapter 9, or John chapter 20, verses 19 through 21. It says, On that evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were gathered together, notice this part, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. It said the doors were locked. And then Jesus just, whoop, here he is. They needed some peace right at that moment. 
<laughs> about what just happened. But they also needed peace because they were afraid the door was locked. They didn't want to be arrested. They didn't want to die that day. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Jesus, he, he offered them the one thing that they needed the most at that very moment. Peace. And because of his cross, now they had peace with God. And because of his presence, they had the peace of God. He, he, and he's still offering it today. There's one last thing that... I, uh, one last piece that I want you to see. Jesus came to give us relational peace with others. Now, this is probably where you say, Pastor, you're meddling. That's fine. <laughs> Do you have anyone that you find it very difficult to keep peace with? I heard about a, a, a police recruit who had a question on the exam that the question asked, what would you do if you had to arrest your own mother? Uh-oh. <laughs> Here's what he wrote. Call for backup. Do you, do you have anyone in your life that's just tough to get along with? Difficult. Makes your life miserable and impossible. I'll just tell you this morning, if you don't have anyone... See me after service. I've got a list. I'll share with you. I don't mind to share some of these folks with others. With some people, man, peace, it just kind of seems like a foreign concept, doesn't it? It doesn't seem like there's any chance. But what do we know about God and with God? That all things are possible, aren't they? Proverbs chapter or Proverbs 16, verse 7, it says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies, notice this, to be at peace with him. Pretty deep, isn't it? As we work to live in a right relationship with God, he works for us to be in a right relationship with others. And you say, well, but Stephen, you, you just don't know how difficult some of the people are in my life. You don't understand how difficult they can be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pastoring churches full of people and full of sinners especially and working with people in the community and, and doing things like that, I'm sure I don't understand that a bit. <laughs> but here's the good news. God doesn't hold you responsible for their words. He doesn't hold you responsible for their actions. He doesn't hold you responsible for their thoughts, their decisions, does he? he he's only holding you responsible for you and how you act, how you react, how you treat. How, he's holding you responsible for your words, for your actions, for your thoughts. One of the downfalls of being a a preacher's kid is that you get used a lot in sermon illustrations, and so Bethany, you're getting used in sermon illustrations this morning. When she would go to daycare and come home, we'd get a report, and well, she'd gotten in a fight, she had <laughs> bit someone or, or something of, of that nature, and <clears throat> I'd ask her what was going on. Well, it's his fault. It's his fault you bit him. 
or it's her fault that you pulled her hair. And by the end of the conversation, I would always tell her the same thing. You are responsible for you and you alone. You can't do anything about what others decide to do, but you can decide what you do. That's why it has to be with these difficult people, especially if we're going to have peace. Matthew 5 and verse 9 says, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. God calls us to be more than just a, a peacekeeper. We're called to be peacemakers. We're to work for peace, toward peace, and, and do all that we can to, to have peace. Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, it tells us, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. As much as depends on you. What does all that mean? Do your part. Do all you can. You may create enemies from your position, but you should never create enemies from your disposition, from your personality, from your attitude. You may create some enemies because of your position and what you believe and what you stand for because you're standing for God's Word and you're standing for Jesus Christ, but you should never create enemies because of your disposition. That is your attitude and your behavior. That's what the disposition is. Do all you can to be a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. Be NATO. Do you know the first recorded words of Jesus that we have in the New Testament? At 12 years old, Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. Do you know the last recorded words of Jesus before his resurrection and his ascension? It is done. It is finished. What was finished on that day that Jesus died? It was the work his father had sent him to do. The work of dying for our sins and securing our peace with God through his cross. And because he secured our eternal peace with God, he can also provide internal peace with ourselves and external peace with others. I wonder, do you have those things this morning? Are you in need of any of those things? I know a Savior that can make it all happen. Just ask him for it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we come before your throne this morning just humbled by how good you are and, and what all you've provided to us. Not only do you provide salvation and a change of life and a change of eternal addresses, dear Lord, you can provide what we so desperately need is peace. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I thank you that through your Son, Jesus Christ, there's a bridge between me and you and between all those that call upon your name. I thank you for Jesus Christ and his sacrifice so that I can have peace. Peace with you. 
peace with myself, and peace with others. Now, Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that if there's someone here that's struggling with that peace, they don't know you as Lord and Savior, maybe that today will be the day that they surrender their heart and life to you and experience what it is to have that peace between them and you and and begin to work and and understand what that internal and external peace is all about. And dear Lord, I pray that for others that know you as Lord and Savior, but sometimes we still just struggle with peace. I, I pray whatever it is that that uh, has that peace dammed up in their lives, that you'll break down that dam and and you'll let that peace flood back into their heart. Dear Heavenly Father, I. I've given the word, and I'm trusting your Holy Spirit to uh, do with it what you see fit. All these things we ask in your name, I pray. Amen.